In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose. As long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bill. Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the Bears' new hire, uh, talking some Bulls, some Blackhawks, and more. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You could see the stars of tomorrow today at family friendly, affordable prices. Sure, the season's not going on, or this is, I'm sorry, the season is going on right now. So make sure you head on over to icehogs.com, get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey. Tickets and more. Tell them Sporsky Sports sent you. Alex, I was fully expecting to go into this episode talking about the different candidates that the Bears had uh, interviewed already of the nine for offensive coordinator and kind of walk through pros and cons and the schemes. But they made a decision. They did. And it's kind of good that we waited an extra day because it lines up pretty well for us to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going into this, uh, I mean, I do want to just talk a little bit about some of the choices that they had brought in. Um, I I was mostly happy with the folks that they brought in. I thought it was um, a nice uh, representation of of options. Um, they brought in Cliff Kingsbury and I mean, it, it's a he runs the air raid system, but. Um, He's coached Patrick Mahomes, Johnny Manziel, Kyler Murray, and Caleb Williams. But I honestly don't think there was any chance that they were going to hire him. I feel like that was more of a fact-finding mission about Caleb Williams than anything else because he was um, one of his coaches this past year in USC. Well, you know if they would have hired him, everyone would immediately be saying, oh, they're drafting Caleb Williams. That would have been the narrative. Oh, yeah. Totally been, been the narrative. Um. And people people are trying are bending over backwards and breaking their arms trying to reach and twist to get links to anything um, regarding the interview people and the new hire Shane Waldron. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, <laughs> it is kind of funny. It is. It is. Um, Greg Roman was an interesting hire. Or, I mean, a uh, interview because he. He coached Lamar Jackson to an MVP, mm-hmm. has a super strong running game. Uh, but we 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 saw what some wide receivers had to say about about working with him as an offensive coordinator. And again, I I saw that more of a of a uh, fact finding mission. Like, hey, like how how would you deal with Justin Fields if you were the offensive coordinator? Mm-hmm. Because some of these interviews, they they interviewed nine people. I think, you know, there was obviously the first and foremost is is you're looking to hire your guy. Find your guy, hire your guy. But, you know, part of interviewing nine people is to get an outside perspective. Like, because you're going to ask them, what what are you going to do to make our quarterback situation better. What are you going to do with our offense? What, what players would you want to bring in? What would you have done differently? And, and sometimes, yeah, just there's a value of picking the brain. 
absolutely. And, you know, it was pretty obvious to me that they wanted to, to get somebody that was from the McVeigh tree. So they're not deviating too far um, from the system, that West Coast system that they're running. And Shane Waldrum's, you know, he's coached under McVeigh. Um, system's a little different, but uh, you knew what kind of system they were trying to go for. But they they brought in some other guys, and um, and I and I appreciate that they that most of them weren't buddy, buddy uh, guys like Marcus Brady was a, a buddy, buddy guy with, with Eberflus because uh, he, he worked with him in Indianapolis and Marcus Brady, interestingly enough, coached under Mark Trussman in Canada. That's right. He did. So um, he's from the Trussman tree. (laughs) Oh man. That tree's uh, just seeping with maple syrup. <laughs> um, and Greg Olson was brought in. He's older. He's like 60 years old. But he was the Seahawks quarterback coach last year. And I honestly think that was a, uh, hey, can if Shane Waldron wants to bring this guy over, have we already met with him and feel comfortable with him? Um. But the two names that I was most interested in of these nine candidates were Clint Kubiak, who's 36 years old. He's young. He's the 49ers passing game coordinator. He had a hot uh, minute uh, as the Vikings offensive coordinator in 2021. Um, <clears throat> he's uh, uh, He replaced Bobby Slowick, who's the offensive coordinator for the the Houston Texans this year. He replaced him in the 49ers uh, coaching staff. And he's the son of Gary Kubiak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, really smart football mind has some offensive uh, coordinator play calling uh, chops. Um, But ultimately they went with Shane Waldron. And I feel like, I think Kubiak was, would have been the swing for the fences higher, but you have no idea where that floor is. I feel like Shane Waldron has a pretty high ceiling, but also a pretty high floor. I don't think he's going to be a failure. Even if he doesn't live up to your hopes, I don't think he's going to be a failure. I think his, him failing would be uh, a middle of the pack offense. Yeah. And you know, I think that just as fans, we look at the situation and think, you know, some of the positives we can take away right off the top of our heads are, you know, one, you're getting an experienced guy. You know, Luke Getze was not an offensive coordinator in Green Bay. uh, So the Bears was his first job as an OC. And we do often reference when talking to him in the positives, uh, what he did with Geno Smith. In Seattle, I like those are kind of the two things that I think stick out to a lot of fans who, you know, maybe don't follow the offensive game as much. If you're just kind of looking at the resume, you're saying, okay, experienced guy, look what he did with Geno Smith in 2022, um, you know, with Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. So those two things kind of stick out. And, you know, I, I, I see this higher as, okay, I'm not sitting here hating it. I don't think it's going to be awful. 
I mean, do I have the hopes that it's going to be a San Francisco or a Detroit with Ben Johnson? No, but I feel better about it being a Luke Getze or a Matt Nagy for that matter. At least I can say that. Yeah, I feel confident that, you know, it's there's no learning curve as far as being an offensive coordinator. He's got multiple years of experience. His the coaches that he's coached under uh, is pretty impressive. He he worked for Bill Belichick. He worked for Pete Carroll and he worked for Sean McVay. Like those are those are some pretty notable names as far as coaches to have have worked under. Um, He's he's not he's not you know, a super young guy, he's 44, but he's definitely not old by any stretch. It's, you feel like this is, this was the, the good safe hire. You know, they're safe. They're safe hires where you're like, Oh God, like this, this is a bad safe hire. I feel like this was a good safe hire. The, the floor is pretty high. I don't know how high the ceiling goes, but honestly, if, if we add the talent that I think we can, I think just having a competent play caller that can put in some schemes will make us a formidable opponent. Because think of think of how good the defense did this year, where half the season they had zero pass rush. Right. And, you know, I know we hated the result of the Packers game, but just think, what did that team do the next game they played after the Bears? They dropped, what, 48 on the Cowboys? Mm. What, did they, what did they do against the Bears? How many points did they score? They scored 17, but here's the thing. They controlled the whole game. They they did. What I'm just saying is the the Bears, imagine if the Bears had a competent offense that would have been able to, you know, at least flip the field a little bit and take sure. back some of that clock and, and put up a, a you know a not embarrassing number of points right sustain drives score touchdowns not just field goals yeah no I, I i get that i definitely get that um i think that you can look at what we saw last year with luke getsy and you saw how well things like the scripted drive worked like how many times did they march down the field on the very first drive? And then you go away from it yep. and you completely take away what was working. I mean, I, I feel like my hope is, is that you're going to get an OC that's going to maximize what your offense is, whatever it is, whether it's Caleb Williams, Justin Fields under center and you know, what weapons are there. But I think that with this hire, if you want to be successful, you're going to have to get more wideouts, legitimate wideouts with yes. this hire. Agreed. Um but uh I I want to talk a little bit about Shane Waldron and I know there's some Seahawks fans that are like, oh I'm so happy to see him go. I think a lot of that is the overall result of the team. And I don't think that's fair to put it on him, but they had no running game. They didn't, no, they, they didn't, didn't. Pro- they did not provide him a, like a legitimate running back, but what he did with Geno Smith is pretty darn impressive. 
Geno Smith has been pretty much a career backup or that veteran that you brought in uh, in case you the first round draft pick wider or a quarterback that you drafted wasn't ready for the first couple games. Um, that's that's the kind of guy he was. I mean, frankly, when they brought Geno Smith in, when the Seahawks did, I forgot he was even still in the league. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's here's quarterback ratings he's had. 66.5 for season, the season. 66.5, 77.5, 81.3, The last three years... 92.1, and 103.0. He, uh, big difference. Lat, not this past season, but the season before that. Geno Smith completed almost just shy of 70% of his passes for f- almost 4,300 yards and 30 touchdowns. I mean, he had one of the best completion percentages in the league. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was with, Shane Waldron. I mean, that's that is really, really impressive what he was able to do with 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 him. And um, you know, that's that's the big thing that I, I and I don't know if there there's no indication or signs that whether it's gonna be Justin Fields or Caleb Williams next year. Or no, Drake, and, and Drake we keep hearing, oh, this means Justin Fields. No, this means we don't know. Yeah, we don't know, but if it is Justin Fields, where Justin Justin's deep throw game is really good. Where he where he struggled was those intermediate passes, and a lot of those are just, you know, the 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 pass rush had already broken through, or receivers just nobody open, and that's where you had the if if you can have a system where there is receivers open 12 yards down the field, nine yards down the field. And he can just hit those without, you know, with a quick throw, you know, without having to worry about getting hit or having to scramble for, you know, uh, you know, run back and forth for 50 yards before he crosses the line of scrimmage. Um, you're like, man, this, this should should make the offense so much better and so much more potent. It doesn't seem like there's that much tweaking you have to do, but your, your point about having to add talent is a big one. Yeah. You, have, you need more than just DJ Moore being a legitimate wide out. And I, I was talking with a friend today and Darnell Mooney came up and, you know, I've been thinking about Darnell Mooney. This is not a, has not been a good year for Darnell Mooney. No. And it was a contract year. Mm-hmm. What if it works out in the Bears' favor? Because you know he has talent. We've seen it. We've we have seen it on display. What if Shane Waldron comes in and goes, you know, I think we can utilize this guy, and you take advantage of man, he had a crappy year. And you get a three-year deal done for $8 million a year. Which for a number three wide receiver that you didn't draft is pretty decent money. 
and it's not bank breaking and and it gives you a guy that's been in this on this team um i i wonder if that works out in the bears favor it might i don't know it just i maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong i i just feel like i just feel like that ship has sailed i mean it's possible it's just it always stinks having to go in replacing two receivers yeah but if you with, with the resources you have you get legitimate dudes i mean let's say you do keep justin fields and you get marvin harrison listen darnell mooney in his prime was pretty underrated he was pretty good but uh you're looking at a superstar potential wide receiver there and i mean listen to your point if you took advantage of his down year and gave him a cheaper deal if they did that, would I be vehemently against it? No, I would just hope that he's at the very most your number three because you need a better number two. Oh, Regardless absolutely. of how good or bad he is, you need a better number two. Absolutely. Your, your focus, that should be your number one. I mean, your quarterback situation is going to work itself out. It's either going to be Justin Fields or your number one pick. I, I don't know if I buy the trade back and draft, you know, the third, the number three quarterback with your nine pick. I, I don't know. I think it's either number one or Justin Fields. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it's possible that they keep Justin Fields, but maybe you trade back a few spots, you get more draft capital and say, hey, second round, strap's a quarterback. It's possible. Uh, I because I I feel like you should draft a quarterback, even if we're not talking necessarily replacing Justin Fields, or if you're going out and saying, "Hey, Justin's our guy," but we're still not committing him long term yet. I mean, if you like, you franchise tagged him. I don't know. So. Could you do that? It depends on how the board falls. Because if you if you go a second round quarterback, obviously Drake May, Caleb Williams are gone. Right. Jaden Daniels is gone. Um is is Michael Penix Jr. there? Because you know, you look towards the end of the draft, and there's those are the teams who just don't need a quarterback. So, you know, either team's going to trade up to get one of those guys that they they missed out, they didn't want to draft him in at nine or ten or whatever, and they're looking for a guy, and they're going to trade back to the late first round. That's a possibility, but honestly, I think Penix and Bo Nix could fall. The only issue is um, you would have to trade to get a second round pick because you don't have one. Right. And I mean, this is assuming that you trade and you get a second round pick. If you trade down, this is all hypothetical scenario. I mean, my, I don't care anything about, I mean, there's, there's really, there's really seven quarterbacks in this draft. 
and three are going to go in the top 10. After that, I don't know where Michael Penix and Bo Nix fall. You told me they went 15 to 20. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fight you on it. But if you told me they went 28th to 38, I also, I'm like, okay, I, that's a possibility too. Um, JJ McCarthy is probably a mid second round pick. So, yeah, sounds about right. I don't know if I'm in on Michael Penix Jr. Uh, Bo Nix, if if you get a second round pick and Bo Nix or JJ McCarthy are there, that's tough to pass up at that point because you've mm-hmm. already extracted the value of trading the number one pick. You have the safety net of Justin Fields. Bo Nix and J.J. McCarthy are real interesting names. And I'm not really sure J.J. McCarthy is going to be an answer in the NFL, but if you had the safety net of somebody else and you took a shot at him. Yeah. I don't know. And, and, you know, again, it's going to depend on where a lot of things are come draft day. Because remember this too, we got to go through free agency as well. Because what are you going to fill in free agency? Right. But I mean, Bo Nix is, I think he could be sneaky good. Um, he could be. He and could G- be. And JJ McCarthy, he's got the arm and he played big time college football. It's, it'll be interesting to see what becomes of him. I'm, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like hanging, hanging my hat on him and riding him with, you know, with him to with, he's your number one QB. No, but in the scenario you present where you're like, Hey, let's just, let's take a flyer here. I I would be willing to risk a second round pick on a JG McCarthy. And I would definitely, you know, risk a a second round pick on Bo Nix. I, I like Bo Nix a lot. He's he is he's my number three quarterback in this draft. Sure. That's fair. And so if if he were to fall, it would be tough to not want to snatch him up, especially if you've extracted that value of the number one pick. You know, if you walk away with three ones and two twos and you're like okay well, i'm i'm gonna roll the dice it's it's house money at that point well if you have three ones and two twos and you would then you would have two ones still this year and two ones next year and two ones the year after and you know you could you could take that flyer you know, the, the drafts capitals, like the, you know, the drafts positioning and the drafts capital they have really feels like the one primary advantage we have right now. I mean, really. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, Sean. I, this might veer off to another conversation, but I guess I could bring it up now, unless you, you have any other thoughts on what you, what we were talking about. No, no. I mean, uh, it, it just kind of, evolved here so go for it whatever you were thinking about 
I just this division going forward. If this is where the Packers are now as the youngest team and Jordan Love in his first year. And look at what the Lions are doing. Feels like they're only going to get better, right? How are we how are we going to compete with this? I I mean the Lions are good. Don't get me wrong. I just don't feel like I mean they're going to take a step back next year because they're going to they're going to lose their offensive coordinator. I don't think that there's going to be a seamless transition. And I'm not taking a major step, but we should have beat them twice this year. We should have, yes. And we're going to be better next year and they're going to take a step back offensively. Um and so that's the the saving graces I, I with Green Bay. I honestly think that it's the offensive play calling and the run game that that opens everything up for their pass game. Jordan Love can hit those those passes, but he he relies on having to have college level separation from those receivers. He can hit those tight ones, but as we've seen, he throws interceptions. What lost them the game against the 49ers that they had in their hand. They really should have won that game. Yeah. They really, really should have. The the thing about Jordan Love that really scares me truly is when he when he's in the pocket, he is calm as a cucumber. Yeah, he is. And then absolutely that- calm as a cucumber. And he gets clean pocket and he gets open receivers and he does what he's supposed to do with it. Can't fault him, but I'm hearing because the Packers are the cap Packers are going to be in tight cap space this year, this off season. I'm, I'm hearing David Bakhtiari is going to be gone and Aaron Jones might be gone too. And he is the one that I'm scared of. He kills us. He kills most people. He gets, I mean, that he was a big reason why they beat the Cowboys is the Cowboys, you know, couldn't stop the run. And he, he gives you a short, like a second and he gets six, seven yards on first down. And then you're looking at um, second and three, second and four. And then the whole playbook is open. So, you know, he can lower his head, pick up the first down. You can have a deep pass from Jordan Love to a wide open receiver. Uh, you know, there's the the running gear, the whole playbook is open. And that's the scary part is I think I don't know how you replace Aaron Jones if if he moves on. Maybe you have to and, draft somebody. And and honestly. They're probably going to have to extend Jordan Love this offseason. Oh, yeah. He's he's going to get paid. And what what do you think that per year number starts with if you're Aaron Jones as uh, his agent or uh, Aaron Jones? Uh, if you're uh, Jordan Love's agent, what number do you think that's that per year salary starts with? Oh, geez. I think it starts with a five. I think you come out there and you ask for 51, 52 a year. Could be. I mean, you saw how productive he was in his first year as a starter. 
So he's, I uh, mean, he's he's definitely going to get paid. I mean, there is there is no doubt about it. I mean, like, okay, so you look at who is getting paid next year in terms of quarterbacks. I mean, there's there's talks of having to renegotiate Patrick Mahomes' contract, and um, he's not even going to be the highest paid quarterback in terms of AAV next year. No, he's no. I mean, the Joe Burrow's number of this 2023. Joe Burrow's 55. <laughs> Justin Herbert's 52.5. Lamar Jackson's 52. Jalen Hurts is 51. Russell Wilson's 49. Kyler Murray, Murray's 46.1. Deshaun Watson's 46. Mahomes is 45. Josh Allen's 43. Daniel Jones is 40. Daniel Matt, Jones making Matt Stafford million is 40. Dollars. Dak Prescott is 40. Dak Prescott's the next one to get paid. For a bunch of playoff losses. But it's he that's that's those tough situations is Dak Prescott is really good regular season quarterback. Gets you a high seed in the playoffs. Then and just that, completely shits the bed. And it's not just him, that whole team just shits the bed and in the postseason. It's they just crumble. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, but what do you do otherwise if you're the Cowboys? <clears throat> you know, what do you, how do you get better than Dak Prescott? Yeah. No, it's to me, it's a more severe situation than Zach Levine and the Bulls because it's like, hey, you know what? He might have his deficiencies, and we've seen some struggles when times get dire but there's still a lot of production there and you either pay him a shit ton of money or you lose him yeah and if you're jordan love you you go in this contract negotiation you're like okay i want to be paid top five which would he absolutely you, should ask for that money which makes you 50 million dollars a year yeah that's that's a lot of money and, you know, here's another interesting thing we're going to watch next year in the NFC North. You know, we're, we're going to be talking about Jordan Love and his future, but remember, Kirk Cousins is going to be a free agent. Yeah, he's gonna, he's not going to get that many years. He's not going to get that many years because he's older, but if, if you were to guess right now what's going to happen to him, I mean, my guess would be he's going back to Minnesota. Yes, and I'm going to guess what did he make this year? Um and and while you're figuring that out, remember this too. The Vikings might have started 1 and 4, but then they won a few games with Kirk Cousins and that team was starting to look legit. And then he got hurt. If he doesn't get hurt, I think it's very possible that the Vikings would have been in the playoffs and the Packers weren't. Or, you know, maybe the Packers were in, but the Vikings were also in. And I don't know how he's going to rebound after that injury, but you got to figure if he goes back, that's going to be another tough thing to deal with. He essentially made $30 million last year with bonuses and whatnot. Um, That, I would assume that's the, the low point. So I'm going to guess 30 to 35 on a 
you know, two two year sixty eight million dollar contract. And he's what, 36, 37? Yeah. I mean, this could be his final contract. Probably. Depending on how big it is. I mean, he's made he's made generational life-changing money. But, you know, to to wrap up your career and and you know, make sure your great great grandkids are set. There you go. So the Packers going into this offseason without making any cuts are they have seven thousand three hundred and fifty-nine dollars in cap space. Not million, seven thousand dollars. Yeah, they're gonna have to make some maneuvers here. Because they, they can't sign their draft class with that. Um so yeah, that's why I'm hearing that Aaron, you know, they can finagle things a lot with an a contract extension with Jordan Love, but Bakhtiari is going to have to be gone. They're going to have to cut some players. But where it's going to be interesting for the Bears is there's going to be the free agent class, but there's also going to be <clears throat> the Saints are about $84 million over the cap. Crazy. They still haven't paid the Piper. We talk about them having to pay the Piper, and they keep kicking the can down the road. They haven't mm-hmm. paid that Piper yet. <laughs> the Dolphins are $52 million over the cap. The Chargers are $46 million over the cap. The Bills are $44 million over the cap. The Broncos are twenty-three and a half over the cap. The Cowboys are 20 over the cap. The Browns are 20 over the cap. The Steelers are 15 and a half over the cap. The Seahawks are four and a half over the cap, and the 49ers are three over the cap. So, but there's one team that has a lot of cap space in our division, and it's the best one. There's two, two teams that have a lot of cap space in our division the Lions and the Bears. Yeah. That's the other thing that scares me about Detroit. They have all this cap space. They got this great team. They have all this cap space. They're um, going to get even better. Y- yes. But um, they also have to sign Jared Goff to an extension. Which he's is got, true. He's got one year left. Remember when we laughed at that Jared Goff contract that he's extension he signed? It's looking pretty damn good. Yeah, next year he's going to be making twenty six and a half million dollars, and that's his final year. Yeah. So, do you think they work on an extension now or after next year? See, you're still in that predicament. Like, if you're the Lions, you say all the right things, and you go, "Okay, well, that's our dude. We're riding with Jared Goff." But you can't tell me that they wouldn't love to have a better quarterback than Jared Goff. Like well, he, he's done some nice things, but if if you're in a shootout with with Josh Allen and and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, do you feel like he could he could you know do something in a showdown like that, a shootout? Maybe, but. Uh... I think that you did mention a key thing earlier, and that's the fact that uh, Ben Johnson's going to be looking for a head coaching position. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm hearing that, yeah, he's probably going to be the commanders. Didn't they already hire a head coach? Did they? I'm, I, that's what I was hearing rumors. Um, I think they hired a GM, didn't they? Maybe it was a GM. I, I don't They hired somebody. <clears throat> he might have interviewed with them. Um, let's see. I'm on SB Nations Commanders. <clears throat> they no, they just hired a GM. G- okay, that's Adam what it was. Peters. Yeah. Okay. Which which is it was smart. the Patriots that just hired a head coach, wasn't yes, it? Gerard Mayo. Right. Which made sense for them. Um, yeah. I, I do like the move. I don't like the move where you hire a coach before a GM. Is you hire you hire your GM, and then you let the GM hire his his coach. So uh, the new the new commander's owner Josh Harris, smart decision there. You bring in a guy, and now. Uh, now you hire hire your head coach. Um, but I'm hearing that you know Ben Johnson, and and I'm also hearing that the Patri- or the Panthers would just give him about anything to to uh, to be the uh, head coach there. But they just hired a GM too. Yeah. So. Who knows? But you're right about this division. The Packers are never going to be out of it. The Lions are a good team that has the opportunity to be better. And the Vikings, the Vikings were a good team that just had no quarterback. Yeah. And they're going to I guarantee some- you if Kirk Cousins doesn't get hurt, they're in the playoff mix. Yeah. They would have been they, in it. They would have beat out the Packers. They would have taken that Packers spot. Yeah. So um, it's up to the Bears now to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, that's going to be really hard. It's going to be really, really hard. And you might need some things to go your way if you have any chance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one, whoever is your quarterback, that's got to that's got to go well. Yeah. If it doesn't, you have you're going to be in the basement again. Yeah. And and honestly, it has been such a a not just this regime, the the franchise as a whole has been a quarterback pit. Mm-hmm. So you have so much weight on your shoulder, what you're going to do. And if you stay with Justin Fields and he doesn't progress, and I hate, like, oh, he doesn't throw for 300 yards. I don't care about that. Lamar Jackson in that last playoff game, did he throw for 300 yards? You no. throw for like like one ninety and rush for a hundred. Like it's when you have a quarterback with that kind of skill set, there the numbers game is not traditional. So I don't care about those three hundred yard games. I care about getting rid of the fumbles and being able to make quick throws to to prevent to prevent getting the sacks. Yeah. Take those check downs, get the ball out. Those are really important. And, you know, if you have an OC that could create some separation better in the middle of the field, hopefully that helps. Yeah. 
but, regardless of who the QB is. But if, if Fields fails or you bring in Caleb Williams and Caleb Williams becomes, I don't think he'll be a Jamarcus Russell. I, I think that's, but what that's if that's a severe, yeah. severe, but what if he's Baker Mayfield? If it's the Baker Mayfield we saw this year. No, no, no. The Baker Mayfield career arc. Where you stick with him because he was number one pick and he just doesn't get you over that hump. He's not terrible, but he's not good either. Right. That's the fear. And and I know I know some people are going to be a number one pick. They they chalk a a a check mark next to Baker Mayfield because well he's got a playoff win and he's thrown this many 300 yard games and I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback it's just if you're choosing quarterbacks is he is he your first pick second pick where do you rank Baker Mayfield in the NFL and current quarterbacks are you talking whole career this year even this year Let's just go this year where he had, he found, he figured things out and he had a system that worked for him. Let's say this year, where do you rank him? Maybe 10th, 11th? Yeah, somewhere middle of the road, maybe slightly above. Is that worth the number one overall pick? No, if if you're getting the number one overall pick, your hope is you're getting top five type talent. You, know, you want a CJ Stroud. If you you're want, comparing rookie years this year, you want a CJ Stroud. Right. And my other fear with with C, with uh, Caleb Williams, and you know, this may be alleviated, miss maybe nothing, is he's listed in the the guide, the the USC guide at six foot one. But I've heard multiple reports that are saying that he might be six under six foot. So when he goes to the combine, he probably won't throw, but he'll get a height weight. And I'm going to, that's going to be one of the first things I look at is how, how tall does he come up? Because, um, Alabama listed Bryce young as six, one, and he, or six foot, six foot. And he measured in at what? Five, nine and a half. Five, ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't take the, the, the PR guide as gospel. And I'm not crapping on Caleb Williams. I, whoever the Bears quarterback is next year, I'm I'm going to I'm going to ride or die with them. I'm going to ask. I'm sorry. Just, go ahead. I just have, I just have fears. No matter what they do. No oh, of course, what they me do, too. I'm. I. My stomach's going to be in knots until, until they, you know, do something good. Until proven otherwise, I'm very pessimistic about this whole operation. But I, I want to play a little devil's advocate here for Caleb Williams. Okay. Well, you and I kind of had our reservations about Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. Just, just, just hear me out. Let's say they get him, and he's kind of more of that hockey type. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe 
that's kind of what we need. Like, I just feel sometimes, and this may sound really cliche, but I just feel sometimes this team is really soft. And I think Justin Fields is a great teammate and a great guy to root for, but I, I'm going to go into meatball mode a little bit here. What do the Detroit Lions do under Dan Campbell? What is their attitude? We're going to go out there and we're going to kick your ass. We're going to beat you and knock your dick in the dirt. I just, I feel like the Bears, they might kind of, they're keyboard warriors. That's how I would describe the Bears. They're keyboard warriors. They can talk a big game on social media or local sports talk radio, but when they go out and they actually face adversity and things don't go great, they, they crumble. They crumble. Look at Green Bay. They, they, they crumble in those circumstances. This, this modern Lions team, we're going to go out and kick your ass. And maybe, just maybe, Caleb Williams is that guy that's going to be, you know what? I'm going to be a cocky asshole. I don't fucking care. We're going to go out and kick their ass. Maybe that's what we need. I and Again, this isn't me suddenly saying I'm all out on Justin Fields. I'm all in on Caleb Williams because, frankly, I still don't really know. But don't you think it's kind of something to think about? Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. It's I don't. But uh, is your rookie quarterback the one that's going to give you that moxie and attitude? I don't know. That's uh, it would be nice. And that that's the one that's one of the, the key things that Baker Mayfield brings is good, bad and ugly. He's he's chirping. He's he's you know, getting his players motivated. He's loud and he's boisterous. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's not afraid to get in any of his, his players, his co- teammates or his coaches get in their face. Um, And, and you know what, like, how many times have we talked about in the past where, the bears are really high on character. Like they look for character traits. And while there are some extents where that's not a bad thing, because like, you don't want to bring on like, you know, someone that abused somebody or a criminal, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, the Bengal star running back beat up a girl on video when he was in college. Right. We don't, we don't want that, but like, I don't need I don't need a somebody that goes and walks all of his old lady neighbors across the street and gets cats out of the tree either. Right. And again, this sounds total meatball, but like again, I don't want someone that abuses somebody, does bad things, criminal things, but like go out there, talk the talk and walk the walk. Like, you know, I like Jaquan Brisker as a talent, but He's been kind of obnoxious on Twitter and shit talk. It's like, dude, you're shit talking the Packers. You can't beat them, okay? You can talk, but you don't walk. Talk the talk, walk the walk. Go out there, knock their dicks in the dirt by playing the game of football. You don't have to severely injure anybody on purpose, play dirty, but go out there and play tough. Be tough and puff out your chest and win. You want a, you want a Jason Kelsey. Right, exactly. 
that there you go. That's what you want. A dude who plays hard, doesn't take shit, but is a really likable guy because he's a fierce competitor. There's a difference between being a fierce competitor and being a dirty, rotten scumbag. We don't want dirty, rotten scumbags. We want fierce competitors. And I just, I just don't think this team does that. They just the, don't. The offense has one, maybe two of those guys. Tevin Jenkins and Darnell Wright. Right. And look how effective they are. Yeah, that's it. I mean, DJ Moore is great, but he's pretty soft-spoken. And as long as he's doing what he's doing, that's okay, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, a a guy who played a similar game, and I love DJ Moore, and this is not a knock, because this other guy I'm going to say is one of the all-time best, is DJ Moore is the poor man's... uh, Oh my God, drawing a blank on his name. Um, Steve Smith Sr., is they're very similar guys, but Steve Smith talked shit and he was physical and, but very similar players, very similar size, very similar styles. Man, Steve Smith is an all-time great. And DJ Moore is just really, really good. And, but if, if you could get that attitude or, or Heinz Ward where he would go out there and he he was very nice man, but when he was on the field, if, if there was a block there, he was, he would tear your head off. He would tear that defender's head off, making a block to set the tone. And I just, Sean, I don't see this happening under Matt Eberflus. No, I don't. I don't see it. The, the scary thing I, I I'm seeing is, have you seen who the Eagles are bringing in to probably be their next defensive coordinator? Oh, um, Riverboat, Riverboat Ron. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's that would be a home run hire for them because he's going to go in there and for all, you know, all the negativity that he's had as with the commanders as head coach, he has kept that ship, you know, from from turning over so many times with the, you know, between the owner and that stadium falling apart and changing your team name twice and having no quarterback. He's kept that boat. He's just kept that team as a meh team. Yeah. And I mean, listen, he's not absolved of criticism, but he's had to deal with a lot of shit. And, but he's going to, he's going to have that defense going. He's going to, he's going to bring them with attitude and, I think that was part of the issue with working under Lovey Smith when he was still with the Bears is you know Lovey Lovey was very a positive guy and soft spoken and and you know, he was a grandfather type and I that that doesn't sit well or work well with everybody. Right. And I know the Bears are going to bring in a defensive coordinator for this coming season, but it's it's a, a much different situation than them bringing in an offensive coordinator, because the offensive coordinator is going to come in and they needed play calling experience because they're going to be they're going to be heading that offense up. They're the 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 vice president of offense. The defensive coordinator is probably not going to call plays. It's going to be, I think. I think Eberflus saw the success and that's the reason he's still here 
because he turned he took that play calling duty. It's going to be somebody that's going to be essentially a a defensive pass game coordinator type guy, help them scheme things and during the week and and um but they're not going to call the plays. So you're going to have a a much different type of talent pool that you're you're drawing from because you're not going to get a top guy because they're either going for head coaching jobs or they're they want to play call. Right. And they brought one guy in so far, and it's Chris Harris, who played for the Bears, played under Lovey, played that Tampa two system under Lovey, and was successful, had a successful career. And I don't know a lot about his coaching ability, but I do know that Greg Gabriel tweeted about him and and talked about when he he was one of the folks that drafted him. And he said that, you know, something that they they noted was just how what a high football IQ he had back then. And he's like, he's going to do great. So, you know, hopefully whoever they bring in as this defensive coordinator, sure, they're not going to call the plays, but are they going to help set the tone? Because they're going to be running a lot of the practices. They're going to be they're going to be that number two man on the, the defensive side. Can they bring some of that? that attitude that, you know, Chris, uh, Chris Harris, he wasn't outspoken, but man, would he, he lay some hits. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's going to be an interesting off season. And I, I do like the Shane Waldron hire. It's, I, I look through these nine names and I, the two I circled were Clint Kubiak and Shane Waldron. And like I said, Shane Waldron was the safer pick. Wasn't Gary Kubiak one of the prime coaching head coaching candidates for the bears after they fired Lovey? Maybe I thought he was. Yeah. He's coached a long time. That would have been, um, 2012, 2013. Yeah. It would have been, you know, his, his era. I think it was with Baltimore beforehand. He's all over the place. Um, but anyway. the, the, the last thing I, I, I have with the Bears, you know, is uh, it's going to be interesting how this draft plays out. Because the when you when you look at the draft board. If there's three really, really good wide receivers I mean, I'm I'm very high on two of them. I'm somewhere above lukewarm about the third. So Roma Dunze from Washington. I'm lukewarm about him. But Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison Jr., I am over the moon excited about. But those two dudes are gonna go top five. Yeah. And by your pick at number nine. Roma Dunze is going to be off the board too. And your, uh, the next, I mean, you know, a lot changes between now and, and draft time, but the next, the next rated wide receiver is somewhere in the twenties. So you're, if, if those three guys are gone and you're sitting at the number nine position going, all right, we, we either traded back on that number one pick beyond nine, or we took Caleb Williams. 
your number nine is is no man's land as far as some of the the picks that the players that you want it's in that number nine area you're looking at uh cornerbacks offensive tackles um another quarterback and you know cornerbacks so you're a little too high of a draft pick for the the defensive ends um dallas turner and jared verse and you don't really need a cornerback. I think drafting a tackle at nine is a luxury pick that they probably don't have the luxury to take. And granted, these are really good offensive tackles, but it doesn't fill a hole. It fills a, you know, Braxton Jones is not, you want to get better at that position, but he's not a, he's not a hole. Right. Uh, so you're, that number nine pick is is a little bit of no man's land for you because you're not drafting a cornerback, probably not drafting a tackle. There's a defensive tackle, the, the kid from Illinois, but is, is that where you want to go? A defensive tackle from Illinois at number nine? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. So a little bit of, of you know, I would guess if they, you're probably not overdrafting a wide receiver at that point because that's really an overdraft. Uh, maybe you overdraft slightly for one of those defensive edge uh, edge rushers, and then you you currently don't have a second round pick, so your next pick is the third round. So you've got a a long delay between number nine and your third round pick. So the strategy is going to have to come in and, you know, maybe, maybe even if they draft Caleb Williams, they try to draft or trade back um, that number nine pick for somebody that's, that wants to get a uh, Jaden Daniels, you trade back and pick up an extra second rounder. It's going to be interesting how they play this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? I'm good with the Bears. All right. What do you want to talk about then next? Well, I do think that we have to take a moment. I'm sure you heard the news today. Yeah. About Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to kick it off here? Yeah. So Ryan Sandberg today announced on Instagram that uh, he currently is battling cancer and that he is starting his treatment and he's, you know, fighting real hard. And I think that a lot of the fans have already expressed, I, I mean, most of the fans, if not all, really have gone out and expressed, you know, their prayers, their thoughts, their well-being. Um, so he got this diagnosis last week, um, metastasic pre- prostate cancer. Um, so his treatment's underway. You know, the good thing is that prostate cancer over the years, medical technology and the knowledge we have of it has made it become very treatable. Um, Still scary, still terrifying. Yeah. But he's in good. We believe he's in good hands and we're all Northwestern. Yeah, he's in very good hands. And I think that we're all 
praying for him and we're, uh, you know, sending all of our best well wishes to him. And, you know, Cubs Nation will be behind him and we hope to hear good news as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the good things are, yeah, like you said, it's it's not pancreatic cancer where, you know, it's where we're talking about how much longer he has to live. But this is treatable and he's at a world-class institution in Northwestern medicine. So, you know, the, I think, I think our sentiments are, are mirrored here and we're all wishing the best for Rhino and, uh, and all of Cubs nation is rooting for him. You know, he's, he's still young. He's 64. Yeah. So that's, uh, um, you know, it was a uh, sad news today. It, it was a, a little bit of a shocker. Yeah, definitely. But, um, you know, we're going to stay strong with him. And, you know, we fans might not be medical professionals, but uh, I think sending him as many good vibes, good prayers as we can will really help lift his spirits and help guide to getting better. Uh, other than that, there's just Cubs newses. <laughs> yeah, nerfing. There's nothing. But interesting, interesting White Sox news. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, there's more than meets the eye. I think. So the White Sox deal, um, their lease is coming up at guaranteed rate field. And there's talks, and from what uh, Bruce Levine was saying, it seems imminent that uh, the White Sox will be looking to build a new building at the 78. And I'm not sure if you know where the 78 is, but I, I do. Work, I used to work like across the street um, from the 78. And, uh, it is it is a cool piece of land right there and it's it's one where i i was thought that it was a possibility that the bears could build something there and uh yeah and it would be a little bit small for an nfl stadium but for a baseball stadium i think it's perfect and for the whites i think that would be a home run spot because you are uh where the 78 is there's already talks and progression about putting a, a red line stop there. So you'd have a stop right there, like literally right at the park, like Wrigley Wrigley field to the red line close. Um, you would be in a much better area. You'd be much closer to downtown, much closer to touristy areas. Um, have the There's... ballpark face downtown so you get that nice backdrop. Yep. It it is it is such a home run idea. And it sounds like it is it is not a if it's a when. And I, I think I just think it's a great idea. When when that got somebody mentioned that, I was like, wow. I, I thought that would have been a decent spot for the Bears, but that that's perfect for the White Sox. The question is that everyone's asking, 
who's going to pay for it? I think that's what a lot of people are concerned about. So I was actually talking, I was cooking dinner tonight. I saw on the phone with Gary and my buddy Gary, and he was his, he's a diehard White Sox fan, former season ticket holder for a long time. And he had a, he had a pretty insightful opinion about it. He's like, you know, there's no sweetheart deal this time. Right. The the deal they have now is like the White Sox pay like next to nothing in, if they stay under 2 million fans. And it's pretty easy for them to stay under 2 million fans. Uh, but is he knows that there's no sweetheart deal. But if you have this deal in place to build the stadium, you've got the plans, you've got all of the the like the the city on board you know there's no money but you you have the city on your side to help push things through you have the city even though they're not going to put money in they're going to build the red line stop there that that's huge um and when it comes time to actually finance this you've put it all in place you sell the team yeah i think a lot of people have been talking about that you sell the team and you're going to get that much more because you're going to have this state of the art stadium, you know, steps from downtown Chicago. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not, you know, now it's a, it's a niche neighborhood that most folks to go down there. You, it's a destination. It's a destination to go there. Wrigleyville you stumble into it. You're if you're a tourist, you're there. You're already there. And there's bars and there's restaurants and there's a lively community there. And even when there's not baseball going on, that whole strip down Clark at Christmas time, every bar is a Christmas bar. And it is it is a lively place to go. And you're like, well, I'm here. I'm going to a baseball game. And but if you're like, if you come into town, you're not like, oh, yeah, I've got to go to a White Sox game. And, you know, it, it's a destination. You're going way out of your way and you're not already down there doing things. If if you put the stadium in the 78, there's things going on close by. You know, like, you know what? I'm going to catch a, a, a White Sox game. Take take the L like two stops and boom, look, look where I am. You know, you are right between downtown and Chinatown. You're tapping into a brand new market. You're visible to the rest of the city. It's you're going to be introducing yourself to new fans that uh, I, I just think it's so good and such a good idea. And if you're the, the White Sox, Jerry's going to do he's going to do all the things Jerry does best is woo people and get, you know, schmooze people. And he's going to have all the things in place. And then he walks away. When it's time to pay, time to pay the bill. And he's going to reap the rewards, get billions of dollars for selling the White Sox. And he's won. And he doesn't, when he wins, he doesn't care about winning baseball games. He talks about winning business deals and winning. Yeah. And for him, that would be a win. He would win. Yes, he, he would. would. So, you know what's weird is the Sox don't have the property yet as of right now, and yet it still feels more likely that that's going to go through than the Bears in Arlington Heights right now. Yeah, that's the sad part, is the White Sox, the White Sox are going to get this deal done in 
weeks and the bears are on years. I mean, are they saying it's imminent or I don't really know the latest report. Bruce Levine this morning said that he would expect an announcement in the next couple of weeks, maybe even next week. Really? Yeah. So, so when, sounds, what's the timetable for that looking like? Um, I mean, I think it would be several years, but obviously it's not going to be next year yeah. or anything. Um, but you know, I would not be shocked if they, I, I don't even know what the timetable of building a brand new baseball stadium is. It's probably less than an NFL stadium. Two years. Yeah. Cause can they get out of the remaining lease or does the remaining lease end? I, I don't exactly know when the remaining lease ends. Uh, let's see if the internet knows. Um, as white socks lease and 2029 so in five years so who knows i mean you if the timetable kind of it's perfect is you get the all of the you spend this year getting the everything in order and getting getting the city to agree to build the red line stop because the red line you know if the stop before it is too far the stop after it's in Chinatown that's too far get that stop right there and they've already I already heard that there was that the city had agreed to it based on what was originally supposed to be at the 70A which is supposed to be residential and shopping district um, I think they already agreed to that. So I think the money is earmarked for it. So it's just getting them to, um, that's going to take a couple years to build a red line stop. And, and then you get all everything in order this year, start building next year. Let's say just for shits and giggles, that takes you three years. That puts you at 2028 and you've got that one year left, but your lease. And you're ready to walk into a new building. You could spend that last year building up the the surrounding area. So, what do you think happens to Guaranteed Rate Field? Demolished. You think it's getting demolished? Yeah. What else? What else would you do with it? Convert it into another sports. I mean. You think I mean, that the Chicago Fire, maybe, if you convert it? Because Soldier Field is just too big for that. It is too big. Um, maybe. Maybe it's a possibility. Um, I don't know. It would have been... You could have, you could have used it for your Olympic bid. But I think that's... <laughs> yeah. That ship has sailed. Uh, yeah, that that sailed and sank over ten years ago. Yeah, and I don't I don't see you com- going for that again. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I'm I'm sure they do. They just it sits there for a while. Uh, I just it, it just you know it's it's not ancient, but 
it is technically one of the older parks in the big leagues, considering how many new parks there are out there. Because, I mean, look how many ballparks have been built since the start of the 21st century. Cincinnati is newer. Washington, D.C. is newer. Philadelphia is newer. Uh, Safeco Field, what used to be Safeco Field, I don't, I don't remember what it's called now, um, in Seattle is newer. The Tex, uh, Texas Rangers' new stadium is newer. Minute Maid Park is newer. Yankee Stadium, City Field, both newer. Marlins Park, newer. PNC Park, newer. Uh, Comerica Park in Detroit, newer. Miller Park, newer. Bush Stadium, newer. Camden Yards, newer. Truist Park, Atlanta, newer. I'm sure I might be missing a few more. But a majority of the existing ballparks are newer than guaranteed right field. The only ones that, I mean, which ones are older? Wrigley, Fenway, Dodger Stadium, Angel Stadium, I, uh, Rogers Center in Toronto, I believe is. Is that older than? I don't no, know. I don't know. No, I'm not sure. Uh, let me see. Rogers Center. I know it was around in the mid nineties. Yeah, and it opened nineteen eighty nine. So that one is older than guaranteed rate. I mean, are there any others? Trying to think off the top of my head. Tropicana Field. I know it wasn't originally built for the Rays, but wasn't that built in the late 80s, early 90s to try to attract a team? Yeah. Uh, let me see. How old is that one? 1990. So it's like a year older than the rate. But you get what I'm saying. There, there's there's not that many ballparks that are older. There's a lot that are newer. So, and I mean, they've been spending every year since the year it was built to make it better. Like it's it's an ongoing, evolving park. Because when it first opened, you were basically opening what looked like a modern version of the cookie cutter stadiums from the late sixties, early seventies. And I wasn't alive when they first opened it, but I've looked at video and footage of it. And you look at some of the features it used to have, it had those baby blue seats and it, do you remember when it had that weird, like separation between the outfield wall and the bleachers? Like it was almost like a moat in between. Yeah. Like, just weird. I mean, they've added a lot of nice amenities there. Like, I don't mind going there for a game. Their food is excellent. That's true. And their concourse is nice. I I don't think the ballpark itself is bad, but what I've said for many years, the biggest problem with the Sox is where they're at. You didn't build a neighborhood around it. You don't have a Wrigleyville or a ballpark village or what the Packers did with Lambeau Field. And you have an opportunity now to do that. How much you're going to fit in that area, you know, might not be as big of a neighborhood, but you could definitely do something, I would think, right? I'm sure. 
you can at least have more than what you have now because yeah, tailgating's great, but you know, what's around guaranteed rate is basically parking lots and a few local bars and restaurants. You can have a lot more if you build a new stadium in another location. I'm going to throw a, uh, I'm going to throw an idea out there. Okay. About what happens with guaranteed rate. What if the Bears bought that? Oh, land? no, 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 no. Please, no. <laughs> Please, no. No, 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 no. It's no. a big, it's a bigger plot of land no. than they're currently on. No. No. <laughs> no. Don't put an NFL team at 35th in Shields. Not trying to be offensive to any Sox fans, but no. I mean, Soldier Field sucks and its location sucks, so I'm insulting the Bears too. I just, just figure I, the Arlington I, Heights out thing, please. I like the stadium on the lake. It just it sucks to get there. There's no there's no good like the parking sucks. The the cabs suck. The walk to public transportation sucks in the winter. Um, but I I like that it's right on the lake. I don't do I don't give right two fuck the- sticks. Give me a nice stadium and a nice location, please. No, don't no. I I I think if you convert it to like the Chicago Fire Stadium, okay, I think that makes sense. I mean, it's better than Seat Geek Stadium or whatever's in. Uh, you mean where they used to play? Where they used to play. See, I don't think the stadium was bad. I just don't think the location was great. Yeah, oh, the location stunk. Yeah, they should. The, the the stadium itself isn't the problem. It's all the location with that. And isn't that one of the reasons they moved? I think the capacity was a little small. So yeah, like, I mean, I think it was like 10,000 seats. Right. And OK, it's like you might have a small capacity there, but Soldier Field is too big. Yeah, Soldier Field is way too big. I mean, you can fill it up for like, you know, like one time the fire did a scrimmage against the Mexican national team. And all right, that's a, you're uh, drawing an international crowd. Yeah. When, you know, David Beckham came to town. Okay. Big draw, like things like that, unique things, but on a whole, we're not really a soccer city. So, no. um, it doesn't make sense. Like I think you can convert, uh, the white Sox park and, remove because some of those seats are real steep yeah i think you can remove much of the upper deck yeah you remove that um and and you make some like nice areas for for fans and and make it like 20 to twenty five thousand, and it's plenty big even if you have a big crowd make it and make it so like when you go to a wolves game like that's a giant stadium for AHL hockey. Right. Like it's way too big. But if you could make a situation where you could almost mask off like that upper deck area at uh at Rosemont, like that lower bowl, you could fill that up and it looks awesome. And you know, if, but it looks stupid with all those empty seats in the upper upper portion. 
like the same thing with there. If there was a way you could almost like mask those off. Yeah. And you know, it's, I go to a lot of wolves games and it's not like the days when I was a kid, when the Blackhawks were completely irrelevant and they were filling the arena, the wolves still do draw, but they draw good for the AHL. They're not, they're no longer that substitute primary hockey team. They were in the late nineties, early mid two thousands when, you know, the Blackhawks were just completely irrelevant, you know, blacked out in the Chicagoland area and totally terrible. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is still one of the the highest. The Wolves are one of the highest AHL draws. Right. But they're they average like 8400 people a night, which is a good number, but that uh all It's like it's, it's like a 15k seat stadium. Uh something around there. Um it is Allstate is 185. Yeah. That's it's just a few a few thousand shy of the United Center. Yeah, it is it is really big. And you know, the uh the the stadium just looks empty when you go, even though there's a ton of people there. Right. The lot is packed and the lower bowl is packed. And then you've got like 18 cheapskates that are up top and you know, where they have a whole section of themselves. Well, you know, my dad and I went to a lot of those playoff games two years ago in 2022 when they won the Calder Cup, and they didn't even sell tickets in the upper level for those playoff games. They just filled the lower bowl. Um, so you couldn't even sit up there. They they just sold tickets in the lower bowl for the playoffs and the finals. Yeah, so if you go to an Ice Hogs game at the BMO, the BMO Center, um, like that is – that it's always at capacity because it only seats like 6,000 people or 5,900 people. So it is just packed to the gills. How and, many, how many seats does Wintrust have, you know, uh, where the sky play yeah. and DePaul plays. I think it's DePaul that plays there. Yep. Um, the Wintrust arena is a little over 10,000. See, I think it would be awesome I get the location's not ideal for the Wolves, but if the Wolves play in a stadium like that. Yeah. Like that's, that's perfect. They just have such a, they don't have their own. They're playing there and it's just way too big. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and frankly, I love going to Wolves games. I go to a lot of them for a reason, but like the all state needs, needs some updates. It's It's in dear, dear need of some, major renovation it is yeah it's i hate that building it's, it's very old yeah the it's old and the layout is terrible i mean it's just very cavernous like there's um i i just i it's not a it's not good for anything they need to gut it gut it and just rebuild everything inside i mean it's not like rosemont doesn't have the money or the land to be able to do it. Well, I know. I mean, I, I look at all the things they've built up and the Allstate arena, the most they've done is repaint like the cinder block walls and put new tiling in the bathroom. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's in bad need of amenity updates. And as someone that goes there a lot, I can say that I enjoy the atmosphere, but the actual stadium, it just, it, it needs a lot of work. Um, I mean, I'm going to ask you another funny question. Would you agree that 
while they've built up some really nice things at the United Center in terms of concourse and stuff, mm-hmm. do you also kind of feel like the main seating area kind of needs a facelift? Uh, I think they need a whole new building. Really? Yeah. You're going that far. I, I don't, I mean, they're not going to because they just put that whole new section in where the Jordan statue is and the new, the new store and that like concourse area there. But I mean, that building is falling apart. I mean, I was there once and I watched just water coming through the ceiling down the escalators. Oh, I remember that. I remember that, you know, so it's the concourse areas are okay. Just the whole seating is weird and I don't like it. Um, And I know there's unique challenges because it's both NHL and NBA. Um, you can't maximize it for either one, but I, I think they need a, a, I mean, it'd be nice if they did something completely new. I mean, how old is United center at this point? It's old as me. So it's going to be 30 years. Yeah. It's not, it's probably not old. It's one. it's what that no man's land where it's, it's probably still a little too new to go build something brand new, but how much it's also dated at, in, in some parts. Do do you want, how much do you want to invest in a stadium? That's probably going to last you maybe 10 more years. I mean, I, it feels like their intention is to be there for a very long time. Um, Well, yeah. I mean the, you just added a sports book there. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, location wise, it's, it's convenient. Oh, I love it. You get right off the Eisenhower. Yeah. And you've got, you've got public transportation right there. And, um, you know, there's, there's Madison is, is a big wide street. That's plenty of, of places to get picked up and dropped off. Um, like location wise, it's, it's, I don't know where else you're going to go. I'm all for a renovation and give me some goddamn cup holders in the 300 level, please. I am a big dude sitting at the 300 levels on. Honestly, if I'm in this 300, I, I usually just go in standing room area and stand because I'm way more comfortable. It's, it, it is a little cramped up there. Yeah. I, I will admit it is a little cramped up there. And, you know, if you renovate it, you might, you know, take that into consideration and I don't think there's any plans to do anything major. I mean, again, like the concourse amenities, they've upped their game over the past few years. But, uh, you know, there are some areas where I think you could look at and be like, you know, you could really make this better. And because the seats just feel old. Yep. Like, I don't think they've changed them since they opened the place. I don't think so. So you just wonder. Um, and again, it's like, I don't go there and be like, oh, this place sucks, but I see some of the stadiums they've built over the past five, 10 years and you see what it looks like. You're like, shit, that's nice. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I, like I usually, I like the energy up in the 300 level. I just, I like the the price of the 300 level. But I usually, if it's 300, I honestly, most of the time I'll stand 
I'll do the standing room section because you're only a few feet back and I'm not cramped. I can easily, you know, quickly go to the bathroom if I need to go to the bathroom or grab some food quickly. And I'm not missing a lot of the action of, you know, climbing through people and then going down the steep stairs and out and then back. Right. I much preferred when I was in uh, Zach Levine's seats for the playoffs because you're like, oh, I'm on the floor. There's <laughs> there's a lot of room here. I'm sitting in a nice chair. And that was that was preferable. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Uh, yeah, uh, my my buddy was talking about, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, hey, do you want to go to the Blackhawks game tonight? He's like, we can get a box. We need like 10 dudes. And then he was like, I was like, oh, are we doing it? And he goes, I've been so busy at work. I didn't, I didn't reach out to 10 dudes. I was like, oh, I would have done it. It would have been, you know, 10 of us chip in like a little over a hundred bucks a pop and sit in the, in a box. That'd have been sweet. Mm-hmm. Huh. Pun. <laughs> uh, what else do we want to talk about? Um, well, Zach Levine's injured again. Yeah. I mean, the Bulls have been beating up on bad teams, so. Good. That's what I mean, they should be doing. It's just, oh, God. It's, it's going to be another battle of 500 mediocre again. Probably. <sighs> I mean, what else can you do? <clears throat> I mean, think about if the Bulls hadn't started so abysmally. Yeah, but I mean, I, realistically, is this team winning anything meaningful? I don't know, but, <clears throat> you know, they they very realistically could move into the seven or eight seed, not, or the six seed even. Like, they're, they're in that striking distance. Sure. Um, and, you know, could they beat the Knicks or the Cavs? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, the, the Cavs kind of gave it to them. I'm just saying is realm of possibility over a series. Maybe I'm not writing it off, but are you beating the Celtics or the Bucks or the 76ers? No, 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 it's silly. You're not doing that. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're giving it to the Suns tonight and Holy crap. Did you hear what just happened? No. Wow. Joel Embiid just scored 70 points. Seriously? Wow. That's awesome. 70 points. I like Joel Embiid. I, I'm, I'm happy for him. Wow. Unbelievable. Sheesh. I'm going to mute my TV, but I'm going to I'm going to put on like ESPN or something. I got to see what, how this is going down. Wow, that is 70 points, 18 rebounds. 21 of 23 from free throw line. He shot 23 free throws. Wow. And Wemby dropped 33. Who are they playing? 
Spurs. Yeah, well. Wemby's going to be a problem. Oh, he's he's so good. Is he is he's a child still and he's already starting to be a problem. Oh, he's, you said I when you said Wemby, I I misheard you. So that's uh, why I asked who they were playing. I'm sorry. Yeah, Wemby Wemby's going to be a problem to people. Yeah. You give him a couple years in this league. And... Yeah, he's he just needs to be able, he just I, I think he needs to put on a bit more muscle, but I, I think he'll get there. I mean, he's already I mean look an at insane talent. Yeah, look at Giannis. I mean, it took him a couple years and to fill out in his body and uh and figure out the league and you know, you knew he was good, but then he had that progression and Wembyama is, is significantly better than Giannis at this point, significantly. And you know, you give him that same trajectory arc, and you're like, in a few years, he's he's going to be this dominant dude in in the league. I don't really know much about the upcoming NBA draft, but suppose the Spurs are probably going to get a top five pick again, right? I mean, I know it's a lottery now, but the record's abysmal. Um, they're they're currently have the third best odds. I. Take it, Detroit is number one. Detroit is number one. Uh, the Wizards are two. San Antonio's three. But the top three spots have the same odds of getting number one pick. So it doesn't really matter. They're all 14%. Right. Um, the, this this draft, um, I don't know. I, a lot of the... It's it's so much harder now to project the NBA draft than it used to be because you knew who the the when it was all college players, you knew who the guys were, and especially by March Madness, when those guys would separate themselves, you're like, okay, that dude, that's a dude, that's a dude. But now it's you know, like, uh, there's a guy from Australia that's seven one, that. Oh, okay. Suddenly he's really good. Like I, how much Australian basketball do you watch? I've watched exactly zero. Um, we can't at least say that Wemby, when he came into this league, we knew. Yeah, we knew. So based on Tankathon's top 10 players in the mock draft, uh, there is two three four five. only half of them are actually college players so it's earth red star jl borg baylor g league g league kentucky colorado yukon and duke hmm. so it's so hard to as a f- casual or even a more than casual fan is because i I don't watch international basketball. I don't watch G League basketball. I don't even know where to watch G League basketball. So I have to wait for somebody, somebody else that just like I I do this for you to go. Oh yeah, um, check out uh, check out Ron Holland from the G League. Check out Mattis Buzelis from the G League. Oh okay, let me watch some highlights because I don't know where to watch G League basketball. <laughs> No, I don't either. I mean, the only time I see like G League footage is because I follow the G League on Twitter. But that's about it. Yeah, it, it's you know, it's it's used to be like 
NBA or the NFL was always the league where you knew all the top players. You know them. Mm-hmm. And then it was NBA. You knew them, especially March Madness, because we're all watching March Madness. Right. And you're like, oh, okay, man, that Fab Five team, Juwan Howard and and Chris Webber and Jalen Rose, those are three dudes watching them, watching them with their baggy shorts, taking it to everybody. And you get it. Makes sense. But at baseball and hockey were always, I don't know. They drafted, they drafted, the Cubs drafted a left fielder from, uh, from some small school in, in Idaho. I don't know. I don't watch Idaho high school baseball. And so you never knew, you never knew these players and you might not know them for years, you know, up until, up until the advent of everything beyond the internet. Like, you know, I remember is I just heard so much about Felix PA Oh, he's the future of the Cubs. You know why? Because I read about him in Vine Line. And oh, never... Vine Line, good old Vine Line. And uh, I was like, I was like, that's how I knew him. I never saw him play. Never saw him play an at bat for years. But he was the dude. You call? Oh, I can't trade Felix PA because that's a dude. Um, so you never saw him until they got to the big leagues. And now the NBA is starting to get to like that too, because there's so many players that are that are drafted from non NCAA that you're like, I don't, I don't, not familiar with these guys. I mean, Wemby was he was so generational that you know we've heard his name for a couple of years, and it was everywhere. I mean, even a lady that works for me at work, like she's like, I don't watch sports, and she's like, I know who Victor Wembanyama is, mm-hmm. because it just you know, he's, he's everywhere. Um, you know, same with like Connor Bedard, like those are just transformational dudes, but for the most part, the NBA is get more closer to baseball and hockey where except for a handful of guys, like you're, you're like, you don't know anybody. You just cross your fingers that your team is draft. You know, you don't have an opinion and maybe sometimes that's good. You know, we're so opinionated about the NFL draft because we know these players and we've watched these players and we've seen every game, all of their highlights and, um, and there's less games and you've got an opinion about them. And especially, you know, a lot of schools that are, that are, that's, you know, like Alabama, like that's, that's their, their team. They don't have a professional team. That's their team. So, you know, one region knows all the Alabama players, and so it, you know about these players. So it's, we're opinionated about it. I will come baseball draft. Well, I know something really, really cool. Hmm. On tonight, Joel Embiid scored 70, mm-hmm. right? Yep. January 22nd. You know what else happened on January 22nd? Is it when Kobe scored 70? When he scored 81. 81. Okay. I knew Kobe. January 22nd, 2006. That's that's cool. I How do you like this. that? That's an interesting factoid. Um, is there anything hockey you want to talk? Nick Foligno's back. Yeah, it's been reinstated. Nice. Did you see that uh, the Oilers are signing Corey Perry? I did. I just saw that. I, it makes you wonder what exactly he did because clearly the Oilers were not concerned about it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. 
I think I, I think the I think the Blackhawks really had to, you know, take action with this because you know why. Uh, well, the, the you know there was the rumors, but um, and the, when I saw the news article about Perry signing, immediately, yeah. <laughs> Hope he doesn't bang Connor McDavid's mom. Yeah, I know. Like, oh God, give it a rest. Like, do, do you know how dumb it sounds? Yeah, just like honestly, just think about it with two seconds of logic. Is did the players' association back up Corey Perry? No. Do you think if they would have cut him because uh, he had consensual relations with a woman that was an adult? Uh, that they cut him for that. Like the league or the players associated would have let that. They would not have been happy, right? No. So clearly, it was something that the the players association and the league were like, "Yeah, that's not good." Right. So I hope whatever help he got really helped. Yeah. And. We're still, we're still uh, second best odds for the number one overall pick. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah. At this point, I'm just like, I'm like, oh, can we do back to back, Connor, uh, Connor Bedard and Macklin Celebrini? Celebrini and Bedard, the next dynamic duo. Oh my god, how I just, I don't know anything about Celebrini really, other than I'm here how good he is, but the fact that if they got him and Bedard and back-to-back years, the league, the rest of the league's fans would just have an, ex- their heads would explode. Just collectively. Oh heads yeah, absolutely. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It would be a collection of Bill's fan puke. <laughs> uh yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, well, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think I've said my piece. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Um, I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. I would grow the show. Follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, SwirskySports.com, or ShyFanPat2 for Alex on Twitter slash X, or AlexanderJPatCreative.com for all the cool stuff that Alex does. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good luck! We thank Dick uh, and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears, 31 to negative 7. Stop, Bears! Oh, when the bears go berry.